Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. All right. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Show brought to you by LPF Advisors. This is Chris Flaming, your host here as always. And today I have the pleasure of hosting Eliana Bear on the podcast. She is a Princeton, New Jersey-based partner with Fox Rothschild. Eliana is a fierce and compassionate advocate for clients on a wide variety of sophisticated family law matters, some of which we'll get into today. Eliana, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's have some fun. So I know you have a pretty interesting backstory. I was kind of checking you out online, not stalking you, just kind of checking things out. And I'd hopefully you can <laughs> take you me through. Okay too. No, no, no. Take me through kind of a brief history of what led you to where you are today. So it's actually, you know, one of those stories that you think about and very fondly because my father was a criminal defense attorney. Oh, okay. And when I was sick, I would kind of go to the back of the courtroom with him and just observe him. And that was my first introduction. So I almost kind of grew up in court. Mm. I mean, and it was interesting to me. And it certainly the passion developed over the years. And when I was in high school, you know, I kind of hemmed and hawed and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I got into maybe like thinking about tax law. And then I took a tax class and I thought better of it. But family law really spoke to me because you can affect people's lives in very material mm-hmm. and meaningful ways in a way that you can't do it in other practice areas. It's, you're dealing with people in a very, very difficult time in their lives, in a very trying time in their lives, and, and you get them out the other side. And that kind of you know, gratification from a job is not something you find every day. So yeah. I've stuck with it for the last 15 years. They can't right. get rid of me anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're ingrained. I think of that often sometimes too, where it's similar, but we're, you know, we're in a different type of industry, but you take someone from where they are now, where they, and then they tell you where they'd like to be and you get to work them over a period of time and come out on the other side, hopefully with a great success, achieving the things that they want to do. It's a big rush. Not quite a, there's not quite a feeling like it in the world. I'm sure you can agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm Very curious cool. then, what do you, is there something, maybe if you could go back 15, 16 years, if you could go back 15 or 16 years and give the younger you some advice, what do you think you would tell that younger Eliana? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think I would say that confidence comes with experience mm. because when you're first starting out, there's a world of things to learn. You don't know where to begin. It's, it's just completely overwhelming. And you have to find the right people to learn from, right? And people that will hand over the reins and give you the experience that you need to gain the confidence to ultimately advance your career and become 
a partner and mm-hmm. become kind of like a player in, in the industry. To attach yourself to people and to be able to do good work for people who can then instill their confidence in you is, you know, that's the most important thing, I think, for a young, any long, young lawyer, including yeah. young Eliana, but any young lawyer to learn is do good work, make the people who are relying on you confident that you're going to complete the work and then take their confidence and imbue it in yourself and just, you know, continue to build yourself. Right. Well, and if you can, there's nothing like kind of like hearing that from a, not a peer, but maybe somebody like a mentor telling you, Hey, you're, you're getting good at this, or you did this really well. And it gives you confidence to continue on and to stick with it. So you kind of mentioned this earlier, but I'm, I'm wondering, was there something specific that happened or was something that a light bulb that went off in your head that helped you determine the area of law that you now specialize in? So you said, you know, you did some tax stuff and you knew you didn't want to do that. And then you kind of happened on family law. But was there was there something that occurred or a light bulb that said, hey, this is really the area of focus that I want to want to hone in on for my practice area? Well, I actually became a summer associate at Fox Rothschild in, in 2008. So I was hired, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the way it works with the summer associate yeah. year, I suppose. But after your second year of law school, you go on to, it's kind of like a clerkship yep. where you spend a summer at a law firm. And at that point, you gain the experience and you you kind of like figure it out a little bit. And when I was a summer associate, there was a partner who took me under his wing. His name is Mark Siegel, still with us, although he's retired. He is a legend in the area of family law in, in the state of New Jersey. He is has a gruff exterior, but he, you know, he's just the best person that's out there underneath that exterior. So he took me under his wing and he introduced me to some very esoteric concept. It was some farm law concept. And it grabbed me for some reason because I realized when you're in the area of family law, it's not like you are just dealing with divorces and that's it. You know, you're dealing with Mm -hmm. party A and party B and they're fighting and and you need to resolve whatever financial issue there is. It's you need to know a little bit about every single area of law and you need to know how to research. And there are some very high level legal concepts out there Mm -hmm. that you need to be able to wrap your arms around. So it's never mundane and it's never just, you know, going into court and just Binging out a settlement. It's always some very complex jurisdictional issue or farm law, or you're dealing with custody of a parrot sometimes, you know, (laughs) it's something different every day and it keeps you engaged. It's not like you're doing just the same job day in, day out. Things still surprise me um, even after all these years. So it's, it's definitely something that keeps you on your toes. And again, Mark Siegel kind of introduced me to that concept and I learned a lot of what I know from him. So he, and not only that, but he also taught me the human side of family law. Mm. He always treated his clients with compassion. He gave them a hug and a kiss when they walked in, they were like family. Mm. So it's not just the legal aspect of it, but it's also the human aspect of it. And he really embodied both. 
So that's what I take with me every day. Okay. It's kind of like nuanced puzzles or something like that, where everything's always changing. Okay. So then daily. that being said, um, I was doing some research on your background. I know you get into some complex cases with certain clients. So maybe go through who an ideal client for you is. Not like a financial requirement, but just how do you see or who do you envision as being an ideal client? So we're a large firm and we typically deal with high net worth individuals who require multifaceted approach to their divorce, right? Mm -hmm. We have everything from trust and estates to bankruptcy to art law, anything under the sun you can imagine is what we do at Fox Rothschild. We have offices nationally. We have a lot of international connections. So what we get here um, in our family law department are a lot of complex legal issues. Mm -hmm. It's usually not a run-of-the-mill divorce with two W-2 wage earners who uh, simply need to you know, divide a house and right. a retirement account. It's more complex than that, typically. Um, where somebody requires either some international connection. We do a lot of jurisdictional issues with regard to custody, with regard to dividing assets, things of that nature, as well as, you know, just very high conflict cases as well that require a more team approach versus maybe, you know, an individual being able to to settle a case or, or whatever it is in a, in a typical divorce. We do get those more high complex cases. And we enjoy them and we have the resources to address them very effectively. Okay. So then when you start working with someone, are, are, do, you, do you see some common misconceptions that people have about either your work or what you do that you help them to overcome? I know sometimes they just think, well, I, I'll hire the attorney. I have this um, end in mind, this solution in mind, and then they're just going to be able to do it right? Without regard to the legal part of it, right? They just want to jump forward to that, that resolution or where they want to be. So I guess maybe I answered your question for you, but are there some misconceptions that people have? Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of, um, it's almost like going back to preschool sometimes where mm. the it's not fair comes into play, right? Why is this taking so long? It's not yeah. fair. The judge isn't seeing it my way. We're only a part of the equation, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're not the whole equation. We can't control outcomes. We can't control timing. Um, you know, court appearances, we can't control delays sometimes. We're only part of the equation. We do what we need to do. And we hope things, you know, fall into place. They usually do. But mm-hmm. sometimes they don't. Sometimes you can get a court that doesn't really understand the issues in a way that they can make a legally sound outcome, mm-hmm. which is why we have the appellate division, why we have higher courts. And sometimes there are wrongs that need to be righted by the higher court, but it's a process. And I, I don't think people understand that it's a process. Mm-hmm. People often want to skip steps, right? Mm-hmm. There's step skippers. Like yeah. <laughs> oftentimes like all the They think of it as an event. Right? It's like an event instead of a process. Right. Yeah. Right. And there are a lot of things that are out of control during the process, which just prolongs it. And it there are twists and turns and it's not something you can predict, but it's something that you have to have confidence that your lawyer can handle. And that's, I think, the biggest misconception is that you're right, that it's an event. You encapsulated it correctly. It's not an event. It's a process. for yeah. sure. 
<laughs> okay, so let's maybe jump into some of your areas of expertise. And this this is more, I guess, like a philosophical question. I'm just wanting your opinion. So I've often heard it said that that going through a divorce is can almost be like a death. Like, like it's a grieving type of thing when you've had this relationship and then it ends, but then no one died, the other person's still alive, and then you have to if you have kids involved and they're still, you still have to interact with each other. So what do you feel like, what makes the process of going through a divorce so difficult for people just like in general, is it the emotional side? Is it the, is it the financials and all that stuff? What do you think? All of the above, but the way I describe divorce sometimes is people need to understand that it's trading problems. It's not Mm. going to solve your problems. You're, you're trading a set of one problem for other problems you might not know or understand it until you really adopt those problems. But as long as you have kids or assets or any financial or emotional connection to the other person, they are still going to be in your life mm-hmm. in some sense, even if they're, they move to Antarctica, I don't know, but yeah. they will still in some sense be a part of your life. And it's something you will need to contend with on a daily basis. So you need to, recalibrate your outlook and essentially become comfortable with your new reality. You have to accept your new reality and become comfortable with it such that you can function, such Mm. that you can say, okay, I understand I have these problems. Let me deal with it in a way that my children can thrive, which is not always the case, Mm. um, in a way that I am not bogged down by emotion, which is huge as well. So you know, definitely a life change and definitely something that people really don't understand is it's like many things in life. Any change is not going to solve your problems. It needs to come from within and you Mm -hmm. need to be able to deal externally at that point with those issues. Mm -hmm. And you've explained or touched on what makes a marital estate kind of complex and why it's important to have someone on your side with that experience in the area, because there's a lot of other factors to consider tax and estate wise and all of that when you're splitting marital assets. So I'm curious, like in, when kids are involved in regard to child support, what are some considerations that are most important? And then you talk about, or I've seen on the, on your website, you kind of talk about nuanced support. So maybe you could just touch on that, what that is. I I was unfamiliar with that term. Sure. I mean, I don't know that it's a it's a formal legal term. Okay. <laughs> it's more of a, uh, there are nuanced support issues, right? Okay. okay. Um, so let me get into kind of what a normal support case would be versus a yeah. nuanced support case. Okay. In New Jersey, we have something called the child support guidelines. If you have two W-2 wage earners who are earning a net income of under approximately $187,000, you're going to use the child support guidelines. You pop in the incomes of both parties, yeah. you pop in the number of overnights, medical insurance, things like that, and out comes a number. And that's your number, right? So that's that's kind of your support obligation. It's a no-brainer. You get into some issues. I I mentioned a net income of 187, right? If you earn more than that, income is what's called, I mean, the child support is what's called above the guidelines. Right. You are then in kind of a different universe of what is child support going to be? We deal with a lot of these cases, obviously, because we do deal with high net worth individuals. So at that point, child support is based on the needs of the child. And there are a lot of other factors that go into it. It's more statutory based and it's Mm. a weighing of factors as are most things in the law. 
especially in family law, you're usually weighing different factors. Um, and that becomes the case in high net worth cases where you're dealing with high income individuals. There is, however, a countervailing type of consideration in those high net worth cases it's called the three pony rule. Essentially, there's a case in New Jersey that, in New Jersey that provides that no child needs three ponies, right? You don't, okay. you don't need that. So need is not need. Some parent may think you need, you know, everything and anything that's out there. You know, the child right. needs a mini Porsche or whatever. Yeah. A court will say, no, that is not need. That is extravagance. Right. And we don't do extravagance. That's a one. Now, that doesn't mean, right. That doesn't mean that a child is not entitled to be supported commensurate with the financial abilities of both parents. It just means that there's a limit at some point yeah. to what the other parent is demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that could be a nuanced support issue. We obviously see other issues with um, a child's receipt of government benefits. We need to know how to deal with that. There are a whole host of issues under the child support guidelines appendix that we deal with that could kind of take it out of the regular child support guidelines arena. Um, okay. So essentially, you just need to know what to look out for, basically. Yeah. It's like an issue spotting um, type of analysis. You just okay. need to know what takes it out of the guidelines. And a lot of our cases are out of the guidelines for one reason or another. Yeah. Okay. So and kind of along those lines where you have alimony involved, sometimes there's some forensic accounting or maybe some support calculations that need to occur. Um, how do you guys approach that? Do you put your own detective hat on? Is that part of your department or how do you approach that? So we work closely with forensic accountants, obviously, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times they're performing what's called a lifestyle analysis. Yeah. They'll take, you know, stacks of credit card statements and bank statements and, and everything under the sun that you've ever, you know, touched. And they'll say, okay, well, what is, what is the lifestyle of the parties? Mm-hmm. A lot of times it can become complicated if the party's lifestyle is, let's say, based on debt or in the alternative, if it was based on something that's not captured within those statements, mm-hmm. like perks, right? Mm-hmm. We, we have that a lot where we have business owners that are receiving financial benefits from their businesses that are not always reported or yeah. not always seen in the statements. Um, they're kind of elusive and it really requires some deep forensic work to determine the full economic benefit that the family is receiving mm-hmm. and then calculate support based on that. And a lot of times we have forensic accountants on both sides. So we have, you know, the war of the accountants, essentially, um, who both come and testify in court. And then the judge says, you're right, you're wrong, and awards support based on whichever expert is more credible. Yeah. The truth is usually somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Usually, usually. Sometimes not. Sometimes it's like so clear one party's just budget yeah, right, right. <laughs> becomes an easy an easy decision yeah okay so let's kind of switch gears I, then how do you manage client expectations and their emotions while you're guiding them through these really tough family law matters because it's a uh, obviously we mentioned it's a very emotional thing maybe one of the most emotional things that they've ever gone through Yeah, it's difficult more for the client than, I guess, for the attorney, but it's difficult for the attorney too. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to put on sometimes a psychologist hat and you just need to be understanding, right? Mm -hmm. You need to put yourself in their shoes and you need to say, if I were going through this, maybe I wouldn't be so level-headed either. And it requires a lot of 
patience because mm. I do this every day, right? I day in, day out, I'm doing this. It's not a life event for me, but for each of my clients, it is a life event. Mm. It is a jilting, you know, earth shattering type of paradigm shifting event that they really need your understanding. They need your patience. They need you to explain things in a way that maybe some attorneys aren't comfortable with because like we're fast paced. We need to get things done, mm-hmm. but the client has no idea what's going on. And I always tell people if I were in this situation, I would be a mess and I am a family law attorney and I know what's going on. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine what they're going through and what, how anxious they feel about it. So I try to just put myself in their shoes and I try to be as patient and understanding as possible without, you know, obviously something turning into a event session because we do build by the hour. So we don't want people expending resources, just venting without Mm -hmm. any resolution. But at the same time, there needs to be a human aspect to the lawyer to be able to deal with those very difficult emotions in a very difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. So maybe think about what do you consider to be your biggest opportunity that you see going forward for you professionally? That's an interesting question. I think that, you know, I've certainly spent the last 15 years gaining skill, Mm -hmm. gaining experience. And I think that I'm at the stage in my career now where there are significant returns on that Mm -hmm. investment of time. I've spent a lot of time learning and going to seminars and um, just reading and digesting and researching. And at this point, it's just kind of compounding on itself and and growing. Mm -hmm. So I think in the next 15 years of my career, the goal would be to become, you know, obviously a household name, a more major player in the industry, which is already kind of beginning. But I do see that developing as as time goes on and just becoming kind of its own its own entity, which is the goal. And it's the goal. Actually, Fox Rothschild is a little bit different from other big firms because they do encourage young lawyers to gain skill Mm -hmm. and develop their own books of business. It's Mm -hmm. not like, you know, you're in a dungeon somewhere reviewing documents. You're getting real life legal experience and they have a goal in mind. It's to develop every single attorney into a an, a partner. Yeah. Um, and I've risen through the ranks here at Fox Rothschild from summer associate to partner yep. by design, because mm-hmm. it's it's something that they want for every single attorney. And they provide the resources to be able to hone your skills and to be able to really develop yourself into a self-sustaining unit. Okay. Almost like you're creating your own brand. You are your own brand. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. I like it. Okay. So maybe on the flip <laughs> side of that, Eliana, what do you, what do you see as maybe your biggest challenge or obstacle that you want to, or have yet to overcome? Hmm, that's also a good question. <laughs> biggest you. obstacle. Biggest obstacle. I mean, I'm going to answer, I guess, from more of a personal perspective than from a professional perspective. Perfect. I have three kids who are young and they need my attention. Mm. It's been a learning process, I would say, to balance that. And I, I almost hate to use the term balance because if you're a professional with kids, your life is 
by definition, completely unbalanced. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether that's in favor of being with your family or in favor of being at work, you never kind of feel like you're giving 100% to everyone and everything at all times. Mm -hmm. So I suppose that's been really the biggest challenge is being able to balance things. And the way that I've done it is just, and maybe I, I know some people would disagree, but it's really been working outside of work hours. And I know some experts' heads will explode and say, no, you need to keep work at work, work, at and work right. family at home and focus. Everybody needs to have time blocking. And I have not found that useful. I've not found that effective. Clients need you at all hours of the day and night. So, you know, for instance, this past Sunday, I worked for you know, several hours, I was on the phone with clients, but that might allow me to go to a doctor's appointment, you Mm -hmm. know, with my kids later in Mm -hmm. the week. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think the challenge over the next several years is just becoming a little bit more, more balanced and more Mm -hmm. effective at managing that time and maybe being able to leave work at work. Although, you know, it's worked for me so far, but I think as my kids get older, that might just resolve itself. Right. And well, and you can't make your kids go to bed at seven o'clock forever. You can't? No. <laughs> I, trust me, I tried. I it, didn't, it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> okay, great. No. I, like, I like that. All right. So if, if people want to learn more about you uh, or contact you, what is the best way for them to do that? So we have a website. You can look me up on uh, foxrothchild.com. Um, my full bio is there. I also am a contributor to the blog. It's okay. uh, the New Jersey Family Law blog. Um, I write there extensively about, you know, various unique legal issues from a personal perspective. I also mm. write, you know, my philosophy on settlement and things of that nature, on arbitration, on mediations. I have a LinkedIn page and also an Instagram, actually, Eliana T. Right. Esquire. So you could definitely look me up on, just Google me. That's <laughs> like, right. Just Google but, me. Uh, I'm everywhere. <laughs> That's right. Everywhere, all the time. That's what we're going for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, Eliana, listen, I want to thank you for taking time to be here with me today. It's been a true pleasure having you as a guest. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I want to thank everybody for listening and watching, tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors where we are hoping to raise the retirement and financial and legal confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, listening, watching. Take care. Be well. Again, Eliana, thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.